Hi, I'm Alan Forsyth, and you're listening to Half Court Press Podcast. Yes, this is the Half Court Press Podcast. My name is Taylor McLeod, and welcome to our first ever episode. Today we bring you an interview from a few months ago with Andy Tennant, who is the Head of Performance at Square Shopping. We discuss a variety of topics but predominantly we chatted about the new format that came in this season for the Scottish Hockey Leagues. I hope that you enjoy. Hello, it's uh, Teo McLeod here. Uh, hi, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Are you okay to chat? Thanks very much for calling about that's Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for the interview. It's, um, no, no, all good. That's absolutely... <clears throat> Did did Paul send you over the list of questions? Yes, he did. He did. So I've I've kind of had a look at them, and yeah, I mean they're all they're all pretty they're all pretty straightforward. There's a couple of bits where I'll probably uh, defer or deflect a little bit, but I mean I'm happy to talk. I mean, I'm happy to talk through it as we go because there's nothing there's nothing killer in there if you like. So cool. Yeah, deferring and deflecting. It's as a common one to the media, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, right, so I've got you on speaker because I'm recording on my computer at the same time, so I can refer yeah, back to it. Fine. I I couldn't figure out how to record in a phone call on my phone at the same time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if, it, if it's if it sounds a bit weird, it's because you're on speaker. Um, uh, but yeah, so I thought I'd talk a bit about yourself. Yeah. Initially. Um, get into the development of and the reasonings for the, the, the new structuring of the league. Yeah. Um, yeah, no worries. That's a bit on that. And um and then talk a little bit about uh the wider wider Scottish um right wider hockey issues for SHU. Yeah. Let's get at the end, okay. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, no that, that, that that's fine. Uh, so I, I suppose in terms of a little bit about my role and where, where I come from. I mean, my, my background's in, in high-performance sport. Uh, I was a, a, an international cricketer and a performance coach uh, who went into being a performance director, if you like, uh, which is a, a slightly different role. Uh, and I was performance director for a Cricket Scotland for about seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the opportunity came to come to hockey, which uh, I thought looked a, a very attractive prospect. You know, it was a Commonwealth and Olympic sport, which uh, I'd always fancied working in and finding out how they operate differently to a, what you'd call probably a more sort of professional, commercially orientated sport like cricket. So, uh, so yeah, the, the opportunity came uh, and the hockey interest in Glasgow was it just seemed like a really a really good fit for me. So I've been here two and a half years now, uh, and it's uh, yeah, it's been it's been really busy uh, and you know really challenging and at times really rewarding. So uh, I think in terms of what I do, I I suppose from a if you look at the, the big picture of what I do is my job's to make sure that we're doing the right things so that we. You know, fulfil our objectives, our performance objectives, which effectively is to have successful Scotland teams 
and to put athletes into GB vests and get them onto Olympic podiums. So everything I do is geared towards making sure that happens. So so that's making sure that all our performance systems work the right way. So uh, and I'm working with the coaches and the managers to to make sure that, that everything that our performance system, if you like, is as aligned as it can be. Uh, and I, I, that comes in. Uh, there's probably three or four key elements to that. One is the kind of leadership element, which is making sure that, that we're doing the right things and that we are uh, we are you know using sort of progressive solutions and, and staying staying ahead of the curve in terms of the changes in performance sport. Uh, I suppose the second one is around supporting the men's and women's high performance programs and our senior national teams to make sure they're as successful as they can be in the world stage because they're the I suppose they're the, the, the inspiration and the dream factory for the for the rest of the sport and are the people who get us the profile and the recognition and potentially attract the you know the commercial support and sponsorship that we need to drive the game forward. So that's really crucial from a high performance point of view and then off the back of that we need to make sure that our performance pathways are feeding that. So uh, when a player comes into our performance path fifteen, sixteen years old that our coaches and our management teams are, are building skills in them that mean that so when they get to full international level that they're, uh, they're international ready athletes, which is the sort of phrase that, that we use. So we're, we're trying to produce international ready athletes so when they hit the world stage, they have the skills and attributes and are ready to you know to compete and for Scotland and help us be successful. Uh, and I suppose the other couple of things are really off a... Uh, Coach development, so making sure that our, our performance coaches and our high performance coaches have, uh, you know, are developed properly and have the right tools uh, and, and the up to date information they need to try and help support our players better uh, because we recognise that coaches are absolutely crucial in, in developing our system. You know, they're the, they're the people at the heart of it who really make this thing work. So uh, making sure that our coaches, our coach development from a performance perspective is, 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 on, is on song is really important. And I think the last thing is probably where Project Premiership uh, comes into play is really around supporting our domestic game and making sure that what feeds the international system is as strong as it possibly can be. Uh, so looking at the Premiership is one of the things that we identified as a strategic area, if you like, to try and make improvements and to try and help us produce more good hockey players, if you like. So, so I guess that's quite a long answer to your first question but that's kind of a bit, of, a bit about me and what I do uh, that's, that's fantastic thanks um, couple, no couple, of, couple of little side questions um, yeah had you played much hockey before you came to the SHU no I, no absolutely not and it's, uh, I think it's, it's one of the things that I, I was quite fortunate to have been given excited about because the fact I don't have that background actually means that I look at things with a fresh pair of eyes and I don't have, I suppose I don't have that uh, sort of baggage if you like, club affiliations, you know, a coaching background in the sport. Uh, so I played a little bit very recreationally but not at any, not at any serious club level or standards so, so not, not a, I'm not a hockey, I'm not a hockey buff uh, by any manner of means. Uh, there's there's some precedent, isn't there? I think Clive Woodward went into association football after after being yeah. in rugby. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, the, the thing for me is being a performance director is, is probably about making making sure that the systems work correctly and having enough knowledge of performance sport to challenge the coaches. 
but without standing on the coach's toes or looking over their shoulders because uh, I don't know if you've ever coached Dale, but I, I, you know, as a, as a performance coach myself, you never want somebody looking over your shoulder at what you're doing, but you want to know that you've got their support and that you're going to be challenged. So, uh, so I, it's having enough information and understanding the, the systems around performance sport, which I do, uh, to be able to support and challenge the coaches, but let, let them go on with the day job of the hockey so I don't get involved in tactics, I don't get involved in player selection, that's really the coach's domain and I'm quite happy to leave it there. What are the transferable skills? Uh, I think the, the, the transferable skills are probably, uh, so, so knowledge would, would be an obvious one, so knowledge of performance system, what, uh, what world-class performance systems look like, so uh, you know how uh, the, the, the latest practices and making sure that you can, uh, that you can transfer a system that's successful in football or rugby and look at world's best practice and actually be able to transfer that into hockey. So, uh, so you know, having having that knowledge of performance systems and how to drive them forward is crucial. I think, and probably secondly and more importantly, is, is actually just that communication skill, you know, to be able to bring everyone with you, if you like, and, uh, and actually sell change because in the end that's, you know, when you come in with a, an agenda to, or a, uh, I suppose a remit to, to have transformational change within the sport, you, you need to be able to bring people with you and, and communicate your messages as effectively as you can. And that's, again, part of the premiership and that lead-in process as to, as, as to actually how, how we sold it to the clubs, I think, is, uh, is, is absolutely crucial. Uh, I think the last thing is probably just around leadership and just you know being able to bring people with you and, and the communication skills kind of rolls into that. How has that process been? Is that is that being a, a quite an easy process from when you started? No, it, 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 do you know it's it's never easy. Changes uh, changes uh, change is, is a, it's an easy word to say, but it's actually a difficult thing to do because inevitably sports and organisations uh, end up the way they are for a reason because that's been what the perceived need within the organisation has been. So, so, so whether that's you know coaches in certain roles, or whether it's structures of tournaments, or uh, or, or just the way selections done, or the way teams are run, uh, they, they they kind of they've migrated that way because it's because it's been the path of least resistance, or it's been the simplest thing. So actually, to move people who are very comfortable in those roles into something that's different and more challenging and less comfortable. It's never an easy thing, uh, and I think that that's probably doubly, doubly challenging when uh, in a sport like hockey, which is still very much amateur based. That those people are volunteers, so you know a, a good number of those people are, are doing it uh, because they want to, not because they're being paid to. Mm. Uh, so, so actually, uh, you have to respect that because people are, you know, we've got some very, very well qualified and bright people uh, giving their time for nothing. So you so you have to be quite respectful when you're trying to when you're trying to move things and change things and potentially push them out with the comfort zone. Uh, so that that can always be challenging. Uh, and I suppose to add to that, the second thing I'd add to that is, unfortunately, whether we whether we like it or not, Scotland uh, is quite a conservative nation. You know, there's there's, yes. a, there's a lot of things are done. They've been done that way, as they say in the borders. You know, so uh, so it's it, it's quite. Changes changes much harder to uh, uh, to facilitate than you, than you might imagine. So so that's always challenging, but it, it, it's a positive challenge. You know, you can 
you can look at it two ways. You can you can either uh, get frustrated by it, or you can just keep embracing it and, and keep rolling with it. So this this could be a good segue into some other questions, but yeah. what what has changed? Yeah, so in, in terms of uh, what we've changed so far, and I would, I would say we're only at the we're only at the starting point for change. I think the, the biggest thing that, that has changed is uh, is our player pathway. So we, we we've looked at how we uh, how we push our uh, push our players towards the high performance system, if you like, and and look at look at different competition schedules uh, and change a number of those things. Uh, looked at how we train our players and we've we've made some changes there. We've also looked at our competitive fixture list and tried to uh, try to make sure that our especially our players in the pathway who are coming through the system have stronger uh, competitive opportunities, if you like. So. Uh, so rather than playing against the, the countries that are round about us in terms of ability, we would, we would try and stretch our players and play more against uh, countries that are above us in the world ranking and can provide more of a challenge. So so I think the, the big thing for me is, is providing our, our young players with more challenge. Uh, we've also made some changes in our uh, in our coaching staff and the way that that, that operates. So, so yeah, uh, probably evolutionary changes rather than revolutionary if you like so just just trying to kind of move things in the right direction because if I'm being honest there was a, when I came in here there was a lot of things that were being done well already uh, and obviously my predecessor had worked really hard and uh, put, put a lot of things in place but uh, we, we, so yeah I mean I think structures so there was, there was, there was a really strong there was a really strong structure in place already so, so a lot of uh, a lot of things were well documented, and it was it was pretty well organised. Uh, the the one area that I I felt that we needed to do was take uh, more central control of things. So uh, so just trying to make sure that we had more of a hands on some of the things that were happening, uh, you know, out with the office, if you like. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Callum, my predecessor, had, had, had clearly worked very hard and done and done a lot a lot of good things, and that the sport was. Sport was always relatively well organised, while clearly short of money. Now I spoke to. We'll get back to rankings in a second. If that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I spoke to David Sweetman uh, yeah. over the, over the summer, and he was talking about uh, regional development managers. Yes. How yeah. much? How much is that within your remit? It's, it's not really so the, the regional development managers are part of the domestic game team so we're kind of split into two departments if you like so domestic game team which is in charge of grassroots development okay. and then we have the talent and performance uh, department if you like which is uh, which I'm head of which is the I suppose the coaches and managers and volunteers and, and players who are in our performance system so we don't have we, we don't have any direct relationship but what I would say is that they're a great, uh, they're great ambassadors for us, and I think they are they're making a difference out there on the ground uh, and helping clubs professionalise with a small p what they do and and attract more players into the game because the, the membership figures do do keep going up, which is great, and I think I think the sport will continue to grow. Great. Uh, okay. Before we get on to the the new league. 
I would imagine that you have an opinion on potential changes to the international rankings. of some of the changes I think are yet to be are yet to play out and be understood uh, I, I can I can understand the, the changes to the world ranking system point system which makes sense because you know the world rankings were were, were very uh, reactive and, and, and almost out of date by the time time they kicked in if you like so I, I can understand why there'd be changes to the world rankings and they, they do seem to make sense because there appears to be more implications to the international games you play. Uh, I'm not so sure about some of the changes around the, the pathway towards Olympic Games and World Cups. Looks uh, looks as if it probably uh, has the potential to negatively impact countries like Scotland. So I, I, I think to summarise that, the, the very top nations, I think, will always be okay because they they will qualify for World Cups and they'll qualify for Olympics and they probably don't want ha- to have to go through additional qualifying tournaments to, uh, to get to those World Cups and, and, and Olympic Games. But I think the, the countries who are, who are just outside that top echelon, I think their ability to qualify for World Cups looks, looks more difficult. Uh, and I will be interested how uh, how the change in continental championships as we're talking about will uh, will either increase or decrease our ability to qualify for the World Cup and at the moment that's not clear. So I, I suppose I'm I'm lukewarm to the changes around the, the ranking system, which I which I understand, but I'm probably at the moment uh, the the jury's out on the on the ability to qualify for, for global tournaments uh, until we see exactly what that looks like. Does okay. that, make, does that make sense? Yeah, me? yes. We, we're not sure yet, I think, is the... Uh... Yeah, no, no, we're not. I mean, the, effectively what's happened is the FIH have taken away the, the World Series competition, which was a, a kind of global pathway into uh, and towards World Cups. Now, now that, that has gone. So there's more emphasis on the continental championships producing qualifiers for the World Cup, but it's not quite clear what that looks like. Uh, so, so until it is, then I'd probably uh, keep a powder dry on that one. I I, I, sus- I suspect, and I'm not sure, but I suspect that it's because the FIH aren't sure themselves yet what it's going to look like. You, you, you may well be right. I wouldn't want to be quoted on that, but I think you're, <laughs> I think you're, I think you're probably right, and I think it will... It will be pushed into the EHS court, I think, because Europe Europe is going to be trickier than anywhere else. I think uh, you know that qualification process looks much more straightforward in other parts of the world, like Africa, where you will maybe only realistically have one or two teams uh, who, who could qualify for the World Cup. But in Europe, you have eight, nine, ten mm. who could potentially qualify for the World Cup. But my slight worry is, at the moment, the pathway is open for all of those 8, 9, 10 teams to qualify for the World Cup because you go into a World Series, because you traditionally went into a World Series competition but now they're all going to get thrown into a continental qualifier of some source and how many European teams are going to come out of that so my, my slight worry is that fewer European teams will be able to access the World Cup I, I, I think that this is perhaps it's starting to trend into a second interview here yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm 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 conscious of how much time that you may have to chat to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um 
Now, I particularly want to find out about the new Premier League for Scottish Hockey, which has started this season. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, now you've changed it. Yeah. Why have you changed it? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things we, we, we've identified is that the, the standards, uh, the, the difference in standard between the, the pinnacle of club hockey in Scotland and international hockey is growing. So so, so that gap is becoming larger. Now, there's, there's two, two things to play there. I think anecdotally we would say that, uh, and most people would say, the standard of hockey at top level is dropping. Now, there, there's a variety of reasons for that, I think. Uh, and again, it's anecdotal, but fewer, uh, fewer good players are staying in the game, if you like. There are still a, there's still a number of uh, good players playing in the Premier League, but there's, uh, the Premiership, but there's less of them around. I think people are retiring earlier. I think social change is affecting that. Uh, I think people have many more options now. So uh, while uh, you, you can produce lots and lots of good hockey players, the, I think the attrition rate's higher. So... Anecdotal evidence would tell us that that standard uh, is, is dropping is this, is this uh, the, slowly. Is this at the elite level of Scottish hockey or international yeah, hockey? Yeah, no, well, well, this is at the top level of club hockey. So, uh, so, so that standard appears to be getting slightly lower, and the standard of international hockey at the top level is, in my mind, moving quite quickly uh, in a positive way. So, so international hockey seems to be looking better and better as, as more teams professionalise. Okay, so okay, let's talk about the consult the consultation pe- uh, period. Um, yeah. What was what was suggested and by whom? Yeah, so it was uh, so we had a six month consultation process effectively. So it probably started last February with an internal consultation where we looked at our strategic objectives and raising the standard of top level of domestic hockey was one of those. So as a result, we had an internal uh, group that was put together that discussed what we thought 
the changes we could make to the domestic game would be that would would move it forward. Uh, now we're fortunate because we've got uh, you know some people who are involved in the domestic game. So Derek Versailles, our senior men's coach, coaches Clydesdale women. Graham Moody, our 21s coach, coaches uh, Edinburgh Uni men. Uh, so so we have a variety of people within the organisation who uh, who effectively live day in day out in the domestic game. So they obviously had some ideas. You know, with with view of what international hockey looks like and with a view of what club hockey looks like. So we quite a good strong start point of the changes that we thought uh, would would be good. So having done that internal exercise, what we then did was uh, we we went externally and we had two uh, consultation meetings with our uh, top division clubs in both genders. So we invited uh, representatives uh, from the. National One uh, clubs that they were then to uh, two meetings in Stirling to discuss what they thought the things we could do to improve the standard were. And I guess, fortunately, uh, it wasn't a happy accident. I think we, we probably had an idea that, that the, the thinking would be the same from our internal consultation to our external, but we, we pretty much agreed on everything that needed to change. So. What we found was that we had a win-win situation. We had we had clubs that were overwhelmingly ready and keen for change, and agreed with us on what those changes were. So, so it actually became quite a simple process then after the two external consultations to say, right, okay, how do we how do we make this better? And the the feeling was that trying to do everything at once would be very difficult for the clubs because. Uh, you know, there, there was quite a lot of things that we would want to change. So we agreed that phasing that in over a three-year period, getting the Premiership up and running, making a couple of really simple changes in year one, and then over years two and three would, to make, would be to make further changes. So at the end of year three, we would have a, a, a Premiership, if you like, that we were all much happier with uh, in terms of, doing everything that we wanted it to do, so making the changes that we wanted to, and that's where we came back to those kind of 14 or 15 criteria that uh, that we agreed with the clubs that we, we would put in place and pretty much bring four, five, six criteria in every year uh, and, just try and, uh, and just try and move the game forward incrementally uh, while recognising that just by doing that it wasn't going to make everything better, but it would certainly help move our clubs forward significantly. Okay, uh, so the literature I read online from Scottish Hockey said that it was exactly exactly that a fifteen a fifteen point criteria over three years. Yeah, yeah. What? So, 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 yeah, that's that's exactly. So it, yeah. what? What is the fifteen point criteria? Yeah, so I, I think behind it were uh, so if we, if you look simply at year one, there was some simple changes around uh, moving to four quarters. Uh, for the top division, we looked at amending the playoff structure so fewer teams were involved in a relegation fight at the end of the year because we, I think we recognised that, uh, that having the bottom four teams in a 10-team league involved, involved in a relegation playoff every year was was probably leading to some fairly negative hockey being played by, by teams in the middle to bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we reduced the number of teams that, are, that would be involved in a relegation playoff which hopefully will allow teams to play with a little bit more freedom and players uh, and teams who are maybe in the middle of the table to uh, 
help develop younger players and give them opportunities. Uh, so there's a kind of uh, there's a little bit more of a, a development zone in there as well for for the teams who who want to plan for next year and want to bring young players through. So amending the, the playoff structure we actually felt was quite important. Uh, one of the other things we did was we set up a Premiership management group. So uh, so rather than Scottish hockey uh, directing everything around the Premiership, we wanted to give the clubs a greater say in the development of their own league. So uh, so we have a Premiership management group. Sorry, you, you've broken up a bit here. Yeah, hello? 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 Hello, yeah, sorry, you broke up a little bit there after the uh, uh, Premiership Management Group. Yeah, so Premiership Management Group, which had majority representation from the clubs. Uh, so we, we have uh, five club reps uh, from both genders on the Premiership Management Group, and that effectively gives the club a greater say in the running of the league because we, we, we felt it was important that they they took ownership of that and, and ran it in partnership with us rather than us being seen to dictate to the top clubs what we wanted them to do. So we're quite excited about our Premiership Management Group and, and its remit will be really to sort of drive up the standards over, over a period of time. So so those, those are the sort of simple things that we've, we've, put, in, we've put in place for, for, for year one. There's, there's, there's two or three more, but I could, I could probably talk all day about them. Okay. Um... All right, so this could be. So, what are the expectations over the next three years? Basically, could you give us a bit more information about what happens next year, what happens the year after? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think sort of moving into years two and three, there's there's some some simple things that we put in place. So, so looking at how we would use uh, use. Uh, performance analysis and video platforms to share information to, I suppose, bring clubs up to speed with how video analysis is used to develop performance of teams. Uh, so in year two, there, there'd be a video platform and teams would be expected to film all games and to use performance analysis as, as part of their uh, part of their overall club development, if you like. Uh, other simple things like, uh, I suppose, having the best umpires umpiring the best games, uh, so making sure that there's, uh, that there's a kind of a pecking order and that the best umpires are, are in a nominal uh, sort of premiership panel that, that would be allocated to the best games so that the, you know, they're driving those standards, uh, bringing in things like ball patrol to speed up the game, uh, just you know, sort of various different things in year two just to try and improve improve the game and then also improve the product so having a, a premiership so promotions and media group so that uh, so that the league has greater visibility you know scoring is done real time uh, so people can go onto twitter and check social media and, and check who's scoring goals and when so so bringing all that up to speed and professionalizing that uh, and then uh, and then obviously into the last year starting to look at uh, how we can better support the clubs and their coaches and their training programs and actually getting into the guts of, of club development and helping and supporting all of our premiership clubs because one of the things we're, we're conscious of is that there, there seems to be a real polarisation and, and uh, people migrate to the top two or three clubs very, very quickly and we're, we're very much, you know, one of the principles of the, the premiership is, is the kind of power of ten and to try and have ten 
strong hockey clubs in the in the Premiership. So uh, our job is to try and make sure that we have more good teams around rather than just two or three, so that every game is a tough game. Uh, but to do that, we're going to have to help our clubs and look at the, the programmes that they run and make sure that uh, that they're looking after and retaining their you know high potential young players. So it's really starting to work with the clubs. So at the end of that third year, we're really hopeful that we have a lot of stronger, you know, more stronger clubs who are in a who are in a better place, running stronger programs, uh, and with, with a more professional approach to how they develop hockey players and how they assess and develop performance. So, uh, so at the end of that third year, we'd be we'd be hopeful that things would look much better, uh, but recognise that that actually the process is an ongoing, long-term process. So, again, when you you, you asked me the question about five years down the line, ten years down the line, we would just see incremental improvements because, as, as, you, as you well know, a, a, a talented 15 or 16-year-olds who are making their first team debut this season are, are not going to be at the peak of their powers for another 10, 12 years. So, so we would hope that the changes that we're putting in place now will continue to benefit the game over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Mm. Yes, yes, that's, so that's the plan. Um, brilliant. Thank you. You touched on a couple of things. Uh, yeah. Video and uh, video uh, recordings for, for clubs and umpiring. Yeah. How would how would video analysis potentially feed into greater TV and mainstream media coverage? So you've broken up a bit more here. You've broken up a bit more here. Are you there? Hello. I can't. I can't hear you very well. Okay. Have, have you got me back now? Yes. Yes. Thank yeah, you. Got me back now. Okay. So yeah. So looking at you know some of the clubs are already live streaming uh, and looking at how we can turn that more into sort of broadcastable material, if you like, whether that's a, you know, a highlights package like the, the English Premier Leagues do, which is, you know, which has gone down quite well, uh, looking at those things, or can we actually get a, you know, a mainstream broadcaster, uh, maybe invest, you know, BBC Online or uh, Red Button or whatever, you know, picking up some of the, some of the best games. So, so we have ambitions to make the game much more visible because we are, we're convinced that if we can make the game more visible and more attractive and out there more than we can effectively mainstream hockey over the next five or six years. I think there's some great opportunities for the sport there. I I would very much agree. I think it's it was it was the on demand and live streaming that make that the state channel is doing. There's there's great potential there. I mean, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're showing netball and and lacrosse. They can show hockey. Um, yeah. 
it's now in terms of umpiring, you're saying that you want to improve the level of umpiring, it sounds like. Now, how involved is the one of the world's best umpires in that, Sarah Balls? Hey, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, that's a fair point. So I would respectfully suggest there's possibly a bit of a disconnect at the moment between, so, you know, obviously Martin Madden and Sarah, who you know, are two world-class umpires. Um, I certainly feel, and this is, uh, this is a personal opinion, that, that for whatever reason that, we would like them to be more engaged in, uh, in, in that process. And I think they're, they're a couple of brilliant role models, and I think we could we could certainly put them to better use in terms of developing both uh, the, the aspiration for people to become top umpires, uh, but also just the quality of their of their field craft and their decision making. So, uh, so yeah, I, I'm 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 sure that we will we will will over the next few years make much better use of them. And I know that they were uh, they were part of the internal consultation uh, around uh, around Project Premiership. Uh, and our, our head coaches spoke to both uh, both Sarah and Martin as to what their thoughts were on on some of the changes we could make. So we'll be working with them and working with existing uh, umpiring panels who, who work really hard because if, if, I, if I'm being really honest, they, you know, it, it's it's a tough shift for, for the people who have to try and find umpires and official week in week out uh, in a in a time where it's, it's harder to get people to volunteer and step up and do things. So so they're already working very very hard. But I think the the question for me is how can how can Scottish hockey and how can we support them and and pull all of that together to make sure that we have uh, good high quality umpires umpiring our Premiership matches week in week out and. Uh, I believe that there's a real will for from everyone to work together to do that, and I think I think it provides us with a catalyst to, to, to make that work much better than it has historically. Okay. Um, okay. That's. I think that's some good quality stuff there. In turn, right, so last question on the league, and then into the final stretch. I think. Yeah. Three teams to look out for for the men. Three teams to look out for for the women. I hope that this year that they would they would manage to survive and uh, 
and and they could be a team to look out for in uh, in four or five years time. Absolutely, I, I think I think a national team is only as good as its league. Yeah. You know, yeah. you you need you, you can't just be one or two teams. It has to be yeah. at yeah. least down to no. mid table of a high quality. Yeah. You don't magic players out of nowhere, do you? So, you know, we're all products of our own environment. So, you tend to be our your best players are are by and large just a little bit better than the league that they're playing in. Uh, so, and obviously, there are exceptions to that, and we can use coaching to try and accelerate their development and get some competitive competitive advantages in the way that we. We, the way we run our performance system, but the reality of the situation is that if you have a strong domestic league producing lots of good players, you will have a strong national Okay, so talk me through the EHL qualifiers. Yeah, so it's, it's, again, it, it, it's, it's something that we're we're looking at how we uh, how we qualify teams for the EHL. I think rather than going into the nuts and bolts of it, I would probably I would probably express and, and probably highlight the fact that you know our our very best clubs are, have really struggled in the in the EHL, and that actually it's, it's part of the project premiership. And I think I think we would see a I suppose a, a KPI for the premiership would be that if in five years' time our champions and our better teams are going to be more competitive when they uh, when they go into the EHL and be much more competitive with some of the stronger teams in Europe, then I think that would be a tell that our league is doing something right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, really conscious of just concentrating on our domestic product and then uh, the teams that then qualify for Europe will be much more competitive when they get there. Uh, now, we have lots of debate back and forward about who should, uh, you know, whether the whether the league winner or the playoff winner should get the top spot, or whether the Scottish Cup winner should be involved in that to try and make it more interesting or exciting? And I and I think we'll discuss all those things over the next over the next six months with the with the Premiership management group. Uh, but I I would certainly try and keep the focus on rather than the, the nuts and bolts of it than the principle of feeding you know stronger teams into the EHL. Uh, does, that, does that make sense to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, now I believe you're about to head off, but just a one-minute little soundbite, if you please, about yeah, sure. Scottish participation in the GB18, the Elite Development Program, and the upcoming Pro League. Yeah, so I I, I think uh, the the GB relationship is a really important one for us. I I think historically. We have always had good numbers of Scots in the GB programs. Now that obviously hit a bit of a, a, a bit of a speed bump in 2016, where for the first time we'd no Scots at an Olympic Games, and I, and I know that hurt the organisation. Uh, so I, I think we're in a much better place now. We have, uh, you know, we, we well we'll have four Scottish athletes playing in the Olympic qualifiers. So we'll, we've got we'll have three girls in the in the GB women's team and we'll have Alan Forsyth in the men's team so so we should have four players in the Olympic qualifiers so we are we're happy that we're we're producing more GB athletes than we have uh, for a little while now and I think the elite development program is, is a we believe it's an excellent program because I think it allows our best young players of under 21 under 23 players uh, to access that higher level of training and, and, and competition on a more regular basis 
so we, you know, ultimately in Scotland we can only give them so much because of the resources that we have. So, so to access an additional GB program with the quality of coaching and the quality of players that they're playing with, and then the competitive opportunities and stretch to get through things like Salt and Johor Cup and you know GB under twenty three activity against Spain and Germany and Belgium. I think that those are those are brilliant opportunities that we struggle uh, that we struggle to facilitate for our best young players. So. So it's a win-win for us. It's a great program that allows us to get more and more people into GB programs. So we've now, I think this year, we'll have 12 in the EDP and three on senior programs. So we've got 15, sorry, players in the GB program. So from, from that perspective, it's, we really like the EDP. We, we think it's really strong and I think it's very healthy for GB hockey. Awesome. Andy, thank, thank, you, very, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Tail. And I'll look forward to speaking again soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't want to make you make you late for your next meeting. So. No, you're okay. Good <laughs> man. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye bye.